All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours with Cloud Posse, your weekly dose of insider DevOps trends, AWS news, and Terraform insights. Mostly so sourced from our SuiteOps community, plus the live Q&A that you can't find anywhere else. It's November 15th, 2023. I'm your host, Eric Osterman. Real quick, I'm the founder and CEO of Cloud Posse. We are a DevOps accelerator for startups that helps teams who are overwhelmed with AWS. We do this by using our over 200 Terraform modules that have been battle tested and downloaded over 10 million times. No matter where you find yourself on this journey, we're here to help your startup launch better products, faster, and free up your bandwidth for innovation so that you can nail your value delivery every time. And if you or your team has been banging your head against the wall with underperforming infrastructure, just head over to cloudposse.com slash quiz, answer a few quick questions, and we'll chart a roadmap for success free. Worst case, you get a clear roadmap for shoring up your infrastructure. Best case, we co-build it with you and empower your DevOps team in 90 days or less. How can we maximize today's session? First off, our format is very informal. Engage as much as you'd like, ask questions. If you're curious about any of our open source tools or modules, go for it. For those on the recording, we host these calls live, so don't miss out. Just go to cloudposse.com slash office hours. Again, cloudposse.com slash office hours to register. Now, I do have one ask. If you find any portion of today's session interesting, share it with your team. Just head over to youtube.com slash cloudposse, and you'll find the video there posted in a few hours after the session. Or send us a short testimonial about the value you're getting in Slack. Just go to slack.cloudposse.com. Remember, we're not simply creating content here. We're building a community. So with that said, let's get into some announcements. So first one, I haven't had a chance to dig into it. Matt, I don't know, you shared it with me if you looked at it. Uh, looks like CloudFront has um, expanded a uh, security dashboard so uh, you can get better insights into what's going across, happening across your uh, edge network. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit, I mean, it seems to be exactly what you said, like it pulls together a bunch of things around CloudFront and stats and presents them and you know all those kind of things from a networking content delivery you know perspective like it makes it makes a lot of sense to me i'm a little bit confused why this isn't rolled into like security hub seeing yeah. that like that's what security hub is like you know is a yeah. a single pane of glass or supposed to be a, a single pane of glass across your organization um but i guess i should just give up on trying to make sense of uh Amazon's positioning of all their security products because it's it's hella confusing to me. <laughs> like every time I look at it, so yeah. Or at a minimum, underneath uh, a WAF uh, section, as opposed to under an individual product and showing its uh, WAF um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah usage. So yeah, I didn't have too much other to add. I didn't actually get to kick the tires on it. I only got to read the blog post. So. Um, don't have much more to add about it. Hmm. All right, thanks for that. Uh, next one is for anyone using GitHub Actions, uh, one of the nice features that I don't see used that often is the ability to specify specific services within your uh, job. So in this case, uh, it's an example of provisioning a container uh, a uh, free version of Oracle is the example here that you can then run as part of your tests. And what's cool about that is that will live 
um, that or the life cycle of that is just different from the life cycle of your steps. So multiple steps can be using that um, backing service. For example, one running migrations and another one running your application tests. Uh, another uh, announcement here is, uh, this was cool. Uh, this was shared by somebody in the SweetOps community, Pepe. Um, so Slalom, Slalom is a very large uh, consulting um, organization out there, and they've uh, been adopting uh, some of the strategies that we use here at Cloud Posse as well with components. So here's an example um, uh, component library of Terraform root modules showing how it can be used across multiple clouds. So with AWS, with Azure, with GCP, and you can go into any one of those um, and see some reference examples here as well, uh, implementing a lot of different components. Um, this one was shared, uh, was it by Vlad, I believe? Um, maybe it was talked about last week, but uh, it is exciting that GitHub Actions uh, will be getting uh, usage metrics. Uh, <laughs> every single other CI CD system out there has some modicum of metrics. GitHub Actions has zero, unless you integrate it with something like Datadog. Uh, so this is planned for next quarter. These often drift, though. Yeah. For what it's worth, uh, Datadog's um, CI/CD uh, pain or whatever that they have there is pretty uh, is pretty good, actually. It gives you a lot of uh, yeah. Because not only does it it give you like runtime and like you're showing right there, like flame graphs of what the longest are, failure rates, you know, all that kind of thing. But um, it also makes every deployment. Um, an event in Datadog. So if something happens, it's real easy to correlate like, oh, I see a new deployment ha happened and then mm -hmm. all my CPU spiked, you know, 27 minutes later or whatever it was, you know, something like that. You can you can usually correlate it pretty easy by looking at some of that stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. And this is obviously leaps and bounds beyond anything one could expect uh, from a dashboard coming out of GitHub um, for usage metrics. Yeah. I don't know why we have that low expectation of them, but <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Well, does does Microsoft have a product like Looker uh, that Google has? Microsoft has like Azure DevOps, which is basically like their, right, but that's a end-to-end you know, -end suite uh, yeah. ultimately to be phased out or replaced by or merged into GitHub and GitHub Actions. Yeah. Um, when I say Looker, this is, you know, they're like uh, Metabase, they're Snowflake, they're whatever, they're analytics. They must have one. I just don't know what it's called. Um, uh, I've seen Looker nicely embedded into products. I think yeah. this would be a cool opportunity for Microsoft to embed their metrics platform or whatever into GitHub uh, so you can create custom reports on things running there. But But a teaser for this cool, powerful BI product that they have. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft has a bunch of BI tools all around, like SQL Server and like yeah. their entire like suite there. But um, I haven't caught up on that in, in years now at this point, so I can't speak intelligently on that part. Yeah. 
Uh, Michael right. in the chat highlighted a uh, Power BI. Yeah, Power BI, right, right. That's the one. Yeah. So, does Power BI have an embedded mode? I don't think so. It's pretty well. Again, <laughs> I'm, I'm my my knowledge is dated, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, I shared that information to say it's comparable. Probably the closest comparison I have to Looker. But as far as embedding it, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, you could probably export the visualization somehow and embed them that way, but I don't know how much uh, interaction you're going to get out of it. So where, where I saw this, I recalled now, was in Ops Genie. So in Ops Genie, they embed Looker, uh, and that's how you can uh, dig deeper into like all your incident uh, metrics and stats. Uh, RB uh, shared a bunch of interesting um, posts. One was on how uh, certain attack vectors can basically fan out almost like a worm um, and infect other actions uh, by affecting the uh, supply chain itself, basically other dependent actions. The actual methods of exploitation aren't anything we haven't seen before. Uh, from what I could tell, uh, you know, opening, you know, repo jacking, uh, compromising NPM packages, opening PRs to actions that seem, um, what's the word I'm looking for? that seem uh, harmless, but actually introduce a uh, um, injection attack and so forth. But the other one that I was more excited about was this one. I thought this was an interesting one. So I guess uh, GitHub has a, a separate org. Uh, I didn't actually verify. This is by GitHub. Uh, ironically, it doesn't have the verified badge here, but I take it that it is by GitHub. Um, this actions permissions uh, action has uh, two parts to it, a monitor and an advisor. And you know, over the years, there's been a lot of these tools uh, for AWS and IAM to calculate least privileges. Well, this is a tool to calculate least privileges for GitHub Actions. And it works by uh, setting up a monitor um, at front, uh, or I mean, as one of your first uh, steps in your workflow or in your action. And then at the end, having a advisor that will um, showcase which permissions were needed as part of this execution so that you can tailor the permissions like this in your um, uh, workflow or action. The benefit with this is uh, that if a vulnerability were to be introduced into your action at some point in the future by having the restricted permissions, the blast radius of that attack are minimized. Although you can you can also just do it the hard way, which is how I usually do it: is set the the <laughs> as repo the repo as permissions as as, as, yeah. as restrictive as possible to none, and then yeah. uh, I have to iterate five times until I actually get my GitHub action to work by adding the appropriate permissions, and then I eventually figure out what it actually needs to do to to do what it's doing. So, uh, yeah. but this is definitely much slicker than than my 27 failed runs because uh, because I didn't have the right permissions. 
Also, this is a nice example or showcase of using job summaries. Um, so job summaries are something we've been uh, leveraging more and more at Cloud Posse, and it's a great way to surface in a very readable, user-friendly manner information about the run. So here it's a, a simple little job summary. It would look exactly well. This I'm, I'm showing. This is a screenshot here of what you would see under the GitHub Actions uh, menu, and then you see uh, a job summary here, and it posts what you should just literally copy pasta into your uh, workflow. Cool. Let's see. Uh, next announcement. I think, what? I think before before you move into into this caving, I guess I'll uh, quite I'll be pronounced. I've never known how to pronounce that that thing, but anyway, the um, I think it's worth noting, like uh, the GitHub uh, GitHub Enterprise, not Enterprise um, Universe was was last week, right? And they they made a bunch of announcements and you know all those kind of things and. Um, it was pretty telling to me that uh, the only thing they care about anymore is AI. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, there was like every um, every single announcement was about Copilot and some variation of Copilot. There were zero announcements about Git, about um, about Actions, about anything else, and even. Um, so CEO Thomas uh, Denke or whatever his name is uh, even put out a uh, a tweet that basically said like GitHub was built on the back of of Git and now it's a new day and we're on top now we're building on top of AI kind of thing like basically like we don't care about Git anymore was kind of like is like the message and I saw a lot of people's reactions to that were really um, yeah there it is. Um, a lot of people's reactions to that were really uh, were really negative. Um, but if you look at this, not a single announcement about what was their core product, you know, <laughs> uh, before this announcement. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's a little telling. Yeah. On where they think they can make money. Yeah. Can I just get some folders? Uh, can I organize yeah. my people? <laughs> Maybe if Just you announced ask, the GitHub universe. Yeah, if you GitHub ask Copilot repositories now. Sorry. Yeah. I just Maybe <laughs> Copilot chat will tell you how to get that uh, done. If you pay the extra, I believe uh, $49 or $39 per user per uh, uh, in, in your GitHub organization on top of yeah. what you pay for GitHub Enterprise for, for Copilot chat. Yeah, yeah, it, it, very expensive. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, thanks for bringing up. I, well, I do have one. I do have one announcement that came out of that, I believe, which was a uh, positive thing for um, Terraform as a language. Uh, it has seen 36% uh, year over year growth. Um, so that's cool. Uh, that's a sign that, uh, you know, Terraform's growing and um, in adoption and usage. And also surprising for me to see uh, on the list of all the languages, uh, 
being used on GitHub, how high up it is on that list. So that's a good sign as well. Also, it's an interesting sign uh, because it is its own language. It's not like you can easily tell like, you know, how Pulumi is doing because it's not, it's just a framework built on top of all the other languages. Uh, interesting, I mean, when uh, Ruby was the darling of every tech company out there and it's barely making the list anymore. Yeah, I, I'm dubious. I know well, I'm, I'm sort of like the 36% year over year growth seems crazy to me, like, which probably means given how much of a base there is of Terraform code out there, it probably means that we're not doing a good enough job of reusing things that already exist. Like people are writing <laughs> a lot of their, a lot of their own crap for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the, uh, the, the nature that it's not a very dry language uh, out of the box is a uh, advantage for these stats. No. Yeah. Could be. I, I don't know what, what do they actually calculate? Is it like lines of code or? Yeah. I was wondering, with... a, you know, contributions a number of people contributing. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I didn't look into how, what the number actually means. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Has uh, Cloud Policy Modules seen a 36% growth by chance? Uh, I can't say I've felt it in our pocketbook, but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, that'd be uh, interesting. Um, to we have hear. that. We have the data, like from the registry, yeah. that we could we could figure that out. Yeah, we have the registry data. Yeah, actually, that's a good thing. I should add to the list of questions uh, if people have ideas. I'll get to it in a second. Um, all right, any more on this before I move on? Major uh, one just was shared that, you know, uh, Quay has seen better days. Um, it had uh, two major outages in the past week, I believe. Uh, one was it, it switched into read-only uh, mode um, or was moved into read-only mode. Uh, I could only imagine the nightmare that was brewing behind that for them to make such a drastic change. But then it was down again um, uh, on you know two days later. You might uh, want to it's still down. <laughs> and it's still, it's still I, I know the status page was basically down before when I was looking at it, but it, it works now again. <laughs> uh, somebody was saying something? Yeah, I said also have a look at what GitHub is is pushing on status updates. It's one uh, degradation after the another. Yeah, yeah. So basically, what Quay does in a day, they do in a week or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we have an RSS feed for all those updates, and it's daily that we at least get multiple updates regarding. Pull requests are uh, degraded. API is degraded. Operations are degraded. Yeah, are degraded. They're having their kind of Twitter moment uh, for the past uh, year or two here, uh, where it's like a fail whale uh, a few times a week. Yeah, but I'm at least glad that they do some proper status updates versus some other companies that. When it's outage, it's taking days, then you get some first appearance like, oh, yeah, something might be wrong. Yeah. 
it's a it's also a way of giving developers the time to have coffee breaks, water cooler conversations. Otherwise, we'd just be workaholics. So I think it's not bad. I I also think like comparing the the scale of the the two company systems is like <laughs> you know is crazy. Yeah. I mean, like GitHub is just the number of things that they're managing is crazy, and most of most of what they announce. Most, I'm not, I'm, and I'm definitely not a GitHub apologist here, but most of it is performance uh, degradation or small little uh, localized outages across things. It's rare that they have like full blown outages across the, you know, across the, the board. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's definitely rare that that, that happens. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that they, you know, they've definitely, in the last year or so, uh, maybe slightly more than a year, have definitely had a significant uptick in in outages. Um, but they still do a pretty good job, given every developer in the world almost is uh, is committing to and relying on them to do their work like on a day to day basis. Yeah, but then again, it's also quite worrisome if you depend on the Git workflows to uh, operate your. Uh, normal operations, uh, deployments, uh, stuff like that. Uh, if you're waiting for a fix to be deployed and then uh, all the related uh, dependencies are, are failing, uh, space lift, circle CI, whatever you are connecting to those GitHub uh, pull requests and, and builds. It's getting quite scary. So it's, it's also time to have a proper look at those things as well. Probably. What about GitHub Enterprise for you? Self-hosted GitHub Enterprise server? Yeah, but then you lose the um, uh, managed part. So it's yeah. always a trade-off. Plus, yeah. plus all of us, I'm sure, will can do a much better job of keeping systems 100% available than, than the thousands of engineers that GitHub has working on these things. Uh, uh, yeah, and probably... <laughs> able to connect to their uh, Azure uh, co-workers who have some experience as well. Yeah. But it's, it shows how dependent are we becoming on certain things out there. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, two central points of failure right now for probably 80% of tech companies, GitHub and AWS. <laughs> Yeah, I would also say uh, Google because yeah, a ton of people's authentication is tied in through yeah. uh, through Google Apps. Yeah, I, I've seen some things in the past where uh, because of their uh, way of working and the monorepo structure, if they I had some things in the past where they did some boo boo on some authentication stuff. So basically, that meant that the whole Google Cloud environment was also uh, unresponsive, not working. Uh, stuff like that. So if you say about self-hosting GitHub Enterprise and then run it on AWS or Google Cloud, hmm, not sure if that's really going to improve. Uh... <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, next announcement, just a minor one um, to kind of toot our own horn. Uh, we did upgrade finally to AWS Advanced Tier, so very happy about that. It's been an initiative here to get uh, to become an AWS Advanced uh, Consulting Partner. 
Nice. What what does that bring you or us? Yeah, what it does is it uh, opens up a lot of funding opportunities, uh, ways that Amazon can help um, subsidize implementations on projects um, and other resources, uh, partner resources that Amazon has. There are also a lot of other partner programs that require you first get to AWS advanced tier before you uh, move to the next. I believe, I don't wanna misstate something, but uh, yeah. There, there are similar things. For example, you can't do AWS map migrations. Uh, these are their uh, um, migration accelerator program or something. I forget exactly what it stands for. Um, and and just a um, offhand remark, you know where it's coming from. Uh, does it also help uh, to improve the uh, throughput time for upgrading account limits upgrades for fresh accounts? <laughs> I wish. Uh, that's really uh, your relationship uh, or a customer's relationship with AWS themselves uh, and their account reps. Um, we've seen it like, yeah, I think in, I think uh, we've seen it all across the board. Uh, but GitHub Enterprise, customers under a GitHub Enterprise, uh, sorry, AWS Enterprise Agreement, uh, get the fastest uh, responses there. So we've noted. Yeah. That's what I've noticed as well, Eric, is had I had someone I was working with that had an enterprise account. And in like two hours, we got all their limits increased by 10x. Like, ooh, like we submitted a limit increase for VCPs of 64. And then mm -hmm. they just get like a thousand without like us asking for it. And then on my account, I can barely get 32. And that takes like <laughs> a and I appreciate you sharing on you don't get the perk when your partner because we were exploring that, trying to see if that would help on the account limits because so, we've literally burned a just week. Just to be clear, I'm saying we do not get a perk with that. Uh, yes, yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you confirming. Yeah. We're looking at going after that for just for that one little thing, trying to see if we could make it easier. So when we create a new account and have faster limit increases, it'd be nice. Yeah. Um, and actually, quick tip around that, we found... After about 50 calls, literally, with ADBS activating accounts, um, I figured out a process that works pretty well, at least for my team. We we throw in our credit card details on the brand new account. So we, even though we have consolidated billing underneath the organization, we add our credit card details. Apparently, that helps with the fraud detection. And then the other uh, thing we do is we join a live chat, and then we initiate a activation call. And then we basically let it, in, let it burn in for about three days, and we found that to help huh. expediting all the, all the upgrades. So so our go-to has just been enabled business class support uh, in the root account, uh, which is usually where you want to raise the limits. Um, and that then you get the prioritized support. Uh, I, I would say it happened very recently with somebody asking something just now uh, that that didn't help, but that has been the exception rather than the rule. Oh, so you do it on the, the organization root account or do you do it in yeah. the Yeah, the org root account. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. We've uh all the requests that I'm referring to, we've been logging into each sub account. So we've done like over 50 accounts so far. And mm. as I mentioned, each one is like a call and a verification. It's been a grueling process. I guess it depends. Yeah, you're not wrong. It depends on which limits you need to raise. For us, the limit we often need to raise when we start a new project is the 
account limit, how many accounts you can create. And that is locked at 12. And you have to do that at the org level to bump that uh, number up. There's another thing you can do as an AWS, uh, well, both the customer, but also as an AWS partner is, uh, first thing you do is you open the support ticket. Uh, then you go into ACE, so uh, the CRM for uh, AWS partners. And uh, when you've registered the opportunity there and it's accepted, you're going to be able to see the uh, AWS reps that are related or associated with that account. Then you can contact the account rep for that, post the uh, support issue that was created, and ask them if they can escalate this for you. And then uh, they, they almost always say yes. It's in their best interest to do that. Um, and that helps too. I think that's probably for the same reasons you say gets around some of the fraud uh, concerns because it's coming from uh, the right channel. Was not across I, that APN feature. Thank you. Uh, sorry, Matt. No, I was also going to say that um, one other thing that I've encountered before is that, and you probably, you, I'm guessing you might be hitting this, is that if you have like a large number of accounts, AWS has like a, um, has like a spending limit that they put on every, like on every account uh, that they're comfortable with, like from a credit perspective. Mm -hmm. And every time like you add a new account with a bunch of resources, you're probably crossing that threshold, which someone has to then review and approve um, before they do that. So there's there's a company I worked with before that have said like they were able to share with their account rep, here's what our anticipated like growth is going to look like over the next you know year or whatever. So can you do a credit review on us and basically like get our spending limits and all those kind of things bumped so that we don't we don't run into delays when we want to do that. And I know that I know of at least one company that was successful getting hmm. that done like through their AWS rep. And then they said that when they requested, when they did that, like all of their limits went up like across the board of what they were actually allowed to um, to deploy. So one of the things know. we've had happen is I'll create a number of accounts and first things look good. I get like five vCPUs from EC2. And then two days later, they just take them all away. I, I just lose four and I only have one to use and then I'm fighting to get the original five back. And oh. it might be a trigger with their fraud detection algorithms, but um, yeah, so that's also been uh, absolute worst case. I think it's taken us like two and a half weeks to get an account set up. Uh, I didn't mean to change topic. If there was anything else on that, uh, how to get limits uh, expedited on AWS? Uh... Uh, no, not at all. Um, I appreciate all the tips there. Thanks a lot, guys. Cool. Um, these were shared by Matt Calhoun in the Zoom chat. This looks interesting. Nice use of uh, Terraform to provision a CloudWatch dashboard. Um, this one showcasing your ECR usage. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. I also like that it's it's by Porsche, like you know the car mm -hmm. company. They're they're actually uh, they're obviously doing a lot on uh, on AWS. If you look at some of the um, repos that they have and some of the topics they cover, the only one uh, module published right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't suggesting necessarily that they're like publishing a lot. I'm just saying that they're doing a lot on. 
mm-hmm. like AWS machine learning and a bunch of interesting, you know, a bunch of interesting things. And I think some of their newer cars are even using like uh, IoT, like IoT to do like tracking metrics and things like inside the cars. And um, and then they use all sorts of um, machine learning, uh, AWS machine learning capabilities to analyze the data and optimize things. It's pretty cool. I was reading uh, about that when I came across the ECR dashboard. That's how I found it. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. I'd like to do more of that. Uh, Just looking at what they're doing, I'm always curious to see what projects are doing. And I see they're also using TFSEC. Uh, I know a lot of people implement TFSEC uh, just like this, and that's fine. Um, What I, well, actually, no, I guess this is the one that does it. And this is what I think is really cool with this TFSEC action. If I am correct, let's see here. Um, no, this is not the one. So if you look at how to implement TFSEC um, in their blog post, uh, they have a much better implementation here. And I did not click on the right. It's um, using TFSEC with the serif faction and uploading that to CodeQL. And when you do it that way, then it shows up um, in the security tab on your repo. And I believe probably you can see those things at an org level as well. Um, so that would be my recommendation. That's really weird because isn't Aqua Security who makes TFSEC? It is. Yeah. No. So, so they're using this is the this is one of the underlying actions. So yeah, the yeah. implementation is, I guess they have two implementations. They have one that does it for with the serif format, and then they have one that's just plain but, action. But it's in a different GitHub org. That's that's what I was looking at. It's in tfsec oh. slash instead of aqua security slash. So maybe they like moved out to their own. Yeah. Other actions, maybe they moved out to their own repo. That's an interesting. I mean, to their own org. <clears throat> Versus. Yeah, the other one was called TFSEC slash TFSEC. Oh, huh. it redirects. Interesting. So it looked like they had it in their own org for some amount of time and went over here. Yeah. yeah I wonder how like, that's working, given what we were talking about. I was, uh, I was gonna say is this perfect <laughs> segue into the office hours question I wanted to ask people for advice. Um it could be, I think. Um in this case is also uh, they are moving a lot of their um uh, uh components into the Triffy um uh, Big overarching project, because mm. you see a lot of references from other bits and pieces. Hey, this is now included in Trivi and stuff like that. So that might be the cause of the move to really centralize, uh, centralize everything. Yeah. Mm. I'm making it more like a. Aqua security branded open source project instead of a standalone one. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is a, uh, I have um, a related question um, to this and it's something I've been mulling over for the last, um, you know, few weeks at, at a minimum or taking more seriously, uh, which is this move to adopting multiple GitHub organizations under uh, GitHub Enterprise. And for a private company, or uh, sorry, for a company that only does private things for the most part, or is starting fresh with open source, no big deal. Just do whatever you want to do. Uh, if you are a company who's been operating in a single GitHub organization for you know seven plus years and now want to go to GitHub Enterprise and move things into multiple organizations, and you do mostly open source, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to do it because I've found so many limitations. So one of the things we would like to do is create... So let me talk about some of the problems we have at Cloud Posse. And for anybody else building large open source uh, projects uh, like what we have. You know, we're up to hundreds of uh, repositories. I thought I used to say here uh, somewhere. Uh, 531 repositories, some of those are private. Many are archives at this point, but there's still a lot there. And the problem is discoverability. Sure, we can um, narrow things down uh, in these ways. And by the way, what are mirrors? I'd never seen that type before. Anybody seen, how do I create a mirror? I'm assuming that refers to you have a repo in GitLab or Bitbucket, and then you have it synced. So it's it's like pulling from Possibly, another. Tool. But I didn't think GitHub had. I know GitLab supports mirroring. Yeah, I've never actually but done it. I didn't it. know GitHub supports <laughs> mirroring. Yeah, I've never done it here. Usually, unless that's an enterprise feature. Um, I can check in my account, and let you know, but I don't. I haven't used yeah. it before. So that's one thing. Uh, one thing that I think is annoying is the default type is all, and yet you know you can have a lot of archived uh, repos that uh, don't make uh, sense to have there anymore. So I think it should be everything minus that. So we also have then you know we have uh, dozens and dozens of GitHub uh, related uh, repos that have nothing really to do with the hundreds of Terraform projects that we have and uh, have nothing, well, those have something to do, but are different from these things that we have called uh, Terraform components. And we have, uh, you know, workflow repositories, uh, which we're working on something to uh, do with that. My point is that we would like to break these things apart. And the obvious thing would be move Terraform modules to a Terraform organization. Move GitHub Actions to a GitHub organization. Only we see tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of downloads of all these modules every single day. And the Terraform registry doesn't support moving modules. And I don't know if Terraform is gonna support Git refs moving. Uh, my guess is that's also gonna be iffy. Uh, but most people are using registry syntax these days anyways. So what do we do? And then we have the same problem with GitHub Actions. We want to move all of our GitHub Actions into a separate organization and manage those. But GitHub Actions also, for security reasons, doesn't support redirects. So it's like we have to create like a multi-year plan here where we 
you know, let everything be where it is, start moving them over to the new organizations, but we can't move the actual repos over. Um, so we'd have to create new repos, but then we lose the star counts issues and pull request history. And if we moved and moved them over and created a stub repo here, people doing repository pinning, they're going to get bit. All their actions are going to stop working. And if we, in, in the Terraform registry, you know, if we unpublish these modules and republish them, we're going to lose all of our stats, which is going to impact discoverability of our modules and uh, some legitimacy of them uh, as perceived by newcomers. Um, so I just don't understand how to uh, migrate uh, repositories between organizations uh, when you do open source. Suggestions, anyone? Uh, any luck on getting folders from uh, GitHub? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know if I shared that uh, before, but um, you mentioned yeah, I found a post by... <laughs> from September. I found a post from September, which basically is from GitHub support saying, yeah, people have been asking for this forever and the project product managers are basically against it. So don't hold your breath. Um, with regards to those GitHub stats, if you're able to keep the reference, uh, sorry, with regards to the Terraform stats, if you're able to keep this, the reference the same in the code, I imagine your stats are just immediately re repopulate very quickly. So folks like myself that are using your modules, it might reset, but I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, like within a week, you'll be back to a reasonable number of polls is, is my assumption. Yeah, I mean, some of, yeah, they'll they'll climb up. Um, you'll lose the all-time history, like 100 million downloads or whatever, which yeah. is a vanity metric, let's say. Um, we can just write a script that just downloads our modules like all day and all night for a few days, and then we'll just artificially <laughs> stats. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Um, I was going to say, yeah, one of the ideas there, or I mean, if and if we're anyways going to move things, should we do something to have more control over the register or, you know, push people towards a uh, registry that we can control uh, and not have that problem in the future uh, was one of the ideas. Um, what about, you know, putting in, you creating a module whose sole purpose is just to emit warnings that this module is moving to a new home? Um, was one of my ideas doing something similar for yeah. GitHub Actions, but that's not going to help you. That's not going to help you if people are pinned to a particular shop, right? It only helps for people who, <laughs> after they upgrade from that point on. Yeah. Um, with regards to the registry, in terms of the Terraform registry, there are a lot of limitations, I believe, with the ter the standard Terraform CLI. So, assuming that you're not catering towards the Open Tofu and you still want to support. The standard CLI. When you move the registry, there's there's like some stuff hard coded into how the CLI operates. So um, you basically have to go all in on your own registry. Meaning the customer, whoever the end user of your modules would also, I, I believe, they have to migrate everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they would have to migrate. But if we're anyway saying, dude, you guys have to migrate. Should we migrate to something where we wouldn't have to have that uh, be concerned about that in the future? So if we decided to publish from another organization or multiple 
repos to you know to the same registry that would be possible oh i think when you do that migration they're migrating everything not just the modules that they're using with you but i believe it's something hard-coded so when you do oh, no, no, no 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 i don't know the the, oh. the source where you say like cloud posse slash whatever you just put a host name before the cloud posse part and it uses that host name as the registry oh okay i didn't realize you could do that on a module level um yeah okay, for sure it works and you can like actually software. You can actually do it in your Terraform CLI config as well, where you can say get slash you know, like cloud posse foo, uh, you know, is like from this registry. And you can point it to a different, like you can wildcard like certain modules or certain pieces to all come from like, you know, from another registry as well. If you just distribute your Terraform CLI um, that way. Got it. So, yeah. Uh, I, so I'm really, uh, I'm not sure what to do about that. Uh, I think we'll probably end up upgrading anyways, but not being able, but not for the reasons we originally had hoped were easy wins and any sort of migration would be a, uh, large. Um, this might be a long shot, but it might be worthwhile to just kind of reach out to, uh, HashiCorp and, uh, GitHub, their partner team, <laughs> just see if they'll be able to help. I mean, you folks contribute quite a bit and I imagine... Yeah. We've never gotten any special them. treatment. We've so, never gotten any special treatment, despite uh, hoping that we would. Um, never you know, hurts to ask. You'll lose a couple hours, but it never hurts to ask. Yeah, it's worth it's worth trying, I guess. Yeah. Oh wait, you signed that manifesto. Uh, yeah, about that. I, I was gonna. I don't want to bring that up, but that that might be an issue. But you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one in the community is has actually uh, returned anything back to HashiCorp if you read the uh, Oh yeah, exactly. The Everyone statement, told. so. They can take it. So. <laughs> We're just all living on the on the backs of giants. So Matt, uh, going back to that uh, issue with GitHub mirrors, uh, you're saying there used to be a feature to add a mirror, um, mm -hmm. but it was used to yeah, you could. You um, used to be able to just say "get remote add dash dash mirror" and then point to like a different spot, and then it would automatically keep your local repo up to date with that wow. with that remote mirror. But uh, God, it's got to be like 2014, 2013 or something. They stopped supporting it like way back then, like long, long time ago. Interesting. I guess it just hasn't worked its way out of the UI yet because there might actually still be some mirrors set up. Yeah. I suspect I suspect they realized that they had to run a lot of background processes to actually uh, keep all these mirrors working, like and bandwidth and like all sorts of things to do it on some sort of automated basis. So that's why they created runners so you can do the mirroring in a poor man's fashion. <laughs> And pay them and pay them for it. Yeah. But um, Eric, that might uh, even be a consideration to move to GitLab instead of GitHub. <laughs> if you go to headaches anyway, then go somewhere where you do have folders. Yeah, they, they what's the word? Uh, the expression "cutting off the nose to spite the face" or something. Um, yeah, it's it's uh it's solving one thing and introducing another. 
It'd be really hard to work on our GitHub actions in GitLab. Exactly. Our GitHub <laughs> actions would have to be entirely rethought. And uh, I feel like GitHub and GitHub actions has far eclipsed uh, capabilities of GitLab pipelines. Um, yeah, I think you also lose the discoverability. I, I believe yeah. years ago when I first came across Cloud Posse in general, I found you because of a I searched for code on how to use some resource in AWS. And then it took me to your modules. And then obviously here I am today. <laughs> so. And you can use GitHub, GitLab Cloud to be clear. It's just that, uh, I don't know, I, I land on a GitLab uh, Cloud project, you know, once every quarter or something. Uh, so it, it's few and far between. What you uh, perhaps also can consider is uh, getting some stop module here that does the import from the actual location, basically what you're doing already in a more right. turtle-like fashion. I've thought about that, or even doing stub modules whose sole purpose is just to warn or error um, that uh, the module has moved. So yeah, or just doing the import and generating that, uh, that stuff, but just pass on to the next module. Yeah. I guess that would be, I guess what one can do is that, uh, I mean, it's, I, I think what would be a large communication effort, but I guess step one, okay, step one, communicate uh, the proposal, uh, you know, months and months in advance, talk about it, office hours, you know, uh, sh share it in all the readme's, what's about to happen. Step two, uh, transfer the repo and create new repo. Uh, which just has a stub module that uh, warns them, you know, this uh, location has moved um, to the to the new location. People who are pinning, it will break. They will go look what happened. They'll see the module has moved. People who weren't pinning will get a, uh, you know, or auto upgrade will get a uh, notice that uh, the module has moved and bump the version to a new major version or something. So everybody using renovate bot depend about or whatever, get the update. So this might be a bad idea, but uh, you can always uh, force push on old tags, assuming that you're very, very, <laughs> but, but you, you can't, but it'll be a new you, shot. You can't do the shot. Yeah. That's oh. the problem. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look at line 27. A lot of people don't pin to the shot. So You'll, you'll no, but a lot of people do. Like very security conscious people do because you can't yeah. you can't yeah. update like the 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 shop. Like the shot is the shop. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I read it's about crypto, that. Graphically yeah, secure. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely agreed. Um, I, I haven't seen it very often, but do agree that's a better way to do it. Yeah, we definitely have a few customers that that do it that way. For sure. Like that, I've worked with for sure. Oh, well, cool. that makes it quite easy to do so. So it's one of the options. It's basically yeah. a single line in the renovate config that I enabled to, to make this happen. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, and then it adds a comment with what that SHA uh, should yeah, be. Yeah. Now, we could, we could game the SHA, like figure out the exact right content to write to, to each. Okay. To each command. <laughs> get to that short directly, that is going to be a nightmare because then you have to do really um yeah, number crunching, security encryption, stuff like mathematics. Uh, it's quite hard to reach those exception shots. And just for the new version, um do the do the other stuff. If your version pinning should be quite okay. And then then uh, and perhaps do some brownouts. 
that pretty yeah. awesome stuff. And make sure you do a proper yeah period where both uh, sections can be used and that you promote a new variation before you do the actual redirect and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I guess it's 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 a reversible technically uh, if one doesn't do large scale. Um, do a few, see what the fallout is, and then learn from it, and then do do some more and progressively uh, work one's way over to it. All right. Well, thanks for that feedback. I have another question for everyone, um, which is not that, not that. There. Yep. Um, so AWS client VPN, um, uh, we've gone back and forth on how, uh, we share the config, uh, for our module on that. Uh, we always emit the config for open VPN as an output. Uh, it's really nice when you have that open VPN config, if it's an inside an OVPN file, you click on that file. If you have a VPN client installed, poof, it loads it up. You can connect to the corporate VPN, easy peasy. Um, how do we distribute that file. One of the easiest ways is, well, we just commit that to the infrastructure repository or some well-known repository used uh, by developers in the organization. Couple problems then, well, how does that, how is that file updated regularly? Yeah, okay, we could create a lot of action workflows that commit and open pull requests and do all of that. Sure, I get it. Um, two, it technically is a little bit sensitive. It does have, I believe, a certificate that's need, a client certificate that's needed to connect to the VPN, but that's not enough to give you uh, access to the network. That's just enough to give you permission to authenticate. So I, I'm still personally okay with that being in the repo, but I understand if some security-minded folks don't like that. Yeah. Eric, will you tell us all your GitHub password right now? You do have two-factor authentication on it, right? Huh? You have well, two-factor authentication on your GitHub, right? Right, yes. So tell us all your password and just rely on the fact that you're okay with the two-factor authentication. Well, but yeah, but this is two-factor <laughs> authentication plus password plus another two-factor. Maybe. So another two layers of protection after this config file. I don't know. This I, config file does not get you network connectivity. It, it gets you, it's one of the factors of a two factor. It's one of the three factors then I guess, because you need, you need, or four factors. I mean, you need, you need this file, you need a valid user, you need a valid password, and you need a valid MFA token. Yeah, it's an old way, but yeah, we use like when an employee or you know, someone starts, they always create a GPG key and uh, this file, this VPN, their VPN files or keys are actually, we just encrypt it and send it to, to them. Uh, so with their own, you know, public key. Uh, so, you know, it's secure. Yeah. But it's, you know, just they yeah. need to create when they start a GPG key. I mean, but this, to be clear, this file is also the same for everyone in the company who connects to that VPN endpoint. It's not unique per user. So, I mean, so I think, uh, you know, less drastic measures would be putting it in a shared vault or something, whatever your password manager is. Um, GPG, as you mentioned, yeah, definitely can do it. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I feel like it's overkill um, in this situation. 
Some yeah. uses Keybase. Actually, Keybase is actually yeah, you know, Keybase uses GPG. That's, that's deprecated, though, isn't it? But yeah, Keybase. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not going to be around much longer. Zoom bought them. Mm. Yeah, at the uh, height of COVID, I guess they wanted something. When they were criticized for not having end-to-end -end TLS. Yeah. Um, at a few different orgs I've worked at, I've definitely seen something just for what you've described, Eric, in terms of that, like that shared configuration. People just throw it in like Confluence or a Wiki so all the developers can access it or, yeah, actually even GitHub Wikis. Yeah. And basically, depending on the same exact thing that you described, it's like one of the multiple layers of defense. Yeah, and you should even consider if you should be able to solve the problem or just say, hey, within every company, there is their own policy. How do you share secrets? In our case, uh, for example, we have uh, Keeper uh, that everybody has, and where there is some, some team folder where we can place these kind of things in. So as long as you have your Azure ID, connection, then you also have access to that VPN client yeah. if needed. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. I guess uh, don't try and solve this one is the um, I guess result. there are so many ways and different kind of ways that people are doing it and different kind of policies. It's quite hard to, to say, hey, come along and this is how you should share this credential. Um, basically um, doing something completely different uh, as what the rest of the company is doing. So I would be saying like, okay, uh, do it your own way, yeah. unless you want to go into the security, uh, secure credential sharing business. I think I know what way I would like to do, but I'm not gonna invest in us doing it right now. Um, and it's actually something you Hans introduced us to. I, I wasn't familiar with it. What did I do now? It's uh, that there's a, uh, under awsapps.com, there's a start page and you can customize that URL. Yeah. Um, and what I like about that, so what I would like would therefore be just a simple page. You log in with your AWS credentials um, and then it auto downloads that file for you from a, like a, from, S, from an S3 bucket or something. Yeah, I, I was actually going to suggest that um, the best way to do it would be to write it to, uh, to SSM, like Prem store as a secret. And then the users that need access get right to that. And then you can actually just give them a direct URL that will bring them right to that secret and they can copy it out to a file. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So I like the auto downloading file part uh, of it. Cause if you're thinking about, think about a business user. Who the, who's the most likely user of this, one of the most likely users of uh, the VPN client. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really like the idea of just, hey, just go to vpn.cloudposse.com or whatever. And it, they're prompted with their AWS SSO login and they succeed and then automatically OVPN file downloads. You click on that and bam, you're up and running. Well, you can... Lambda for that stuff and put it behind something. <laughs> I was I was just about to say there's an easy solution to that, but it would require a lambda, and it's it's an inside joke that Eric and I would have about, <laughs> about lambdas. So yeah, but yeah, though isn't this uh, yeah? That's basically the component I'm missing, uh, or the module that I'm missing, uh, Eric. Is a, a lambda with a attached uh, ALB or an ALB where I can attach multiple lambdas to for some of these convenience 
But do you need that with the new lambdas? They have uh, directly, I forget what they're called. They're uh, directly accessible uh, fun lambdas. function URLs. Yeah. Okay, let me have a look at that. Is that something that's also in the uh, Terraform module stuff already? I, I don't think you, the, I think it's just part of the lambda definition. Um, no, you have to enable it. It's well, a, I mean, yeah, I mean, but but it's uh, how you say it, it would be a parameter or setting of uh, the Lambda module, right? You don't need a separate. Yeah. Yeah. Module. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's basically just generate uh, generate a URL for it and then it will um, it will like spit that URL out when you create yeah. it. Can I put a fancy URL in front of that? Yeah. Um, and then that basically is a URL that invokes your Lambda direct directly and the post payload that you post to it it becomes the Lambda payload. Excuse me. I mean, you would have to use something like API gateway or something then to, you can't, you can't like attach an ACM certificate to it of your own choosing um, or customize the DNS name. The All the URLs look like this. Yeah, true. So, so you need something in front of that to do the proper redirect uh, ACM stuff. Okay, let me have a look yeah. at that. Well, I mean, depending on what you, if, if you were just deploying lambdas because you want them as webhooks from uh, something GitHub sending, this is fine, um, yeah. right? You don't need to have it branded. If it's something customers are using, sure, I get it. You want to customize that. Um, <clears throat> there is a middle ground, and that's called developers. They're Yeah, they're expendable. <laughs> yeah, of course. But sometimes it helps if there is something like more... Um, um, easier to remember, go yeah. to that URL to do some certain stuff. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the kind of progression, if you're for, looking for example, at it is... to download an EC2 config file. I was just going to say that the the progression, if you need to make your lambda accessible, is function URLs is the kind of the lowest cost entry and least configurable. Then next is um, is the uh, lambda. I mean, not the lambda, the API gateway. Um, what's that one called? Uh, REST. One of them is the REST API, and the, the other one is just like um, Web mm -hmm. API or something like that. There's two layers. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. of them is far less configurable than the one. The REST API is the most configurable and the yeah. most complex to set up, and you can control. Everything from URL rewriting and backend proxying and content um, content manipulation, both uh, inbound and outbound, and a bunch of other things there. And then there's one, you know, there's basically a one, you know, one stop in between. I just forget uh, what that other that that other thing is called. We currently use some also some kind of uh, load balancers to do some of these uh, simple redirects. But you can't do that with Lambda. Well, it's more so, like uh, you you get in a new URL and we can uh, issue a 301 towards the next one. So it's more like a simple redirect stuff. In certain cases, yeah. that should be enough. Yeah, or you could throw, I mean, if you're going to do that, then you have to, you could throw up like a proxy or something in front of it to, to reverse proxy all your... Um, all your connections, but that's basically what API Gateway does for you. Yep. 
All right, everyone. This was interesting. I uh, lost, it was so interesting. I lost track of time. I didn't realize we're five minutes over today. Thank you everyone for your participation, helping me brainstorm some solutions here. That was really helpful. Um, if you are, uh, if you found today's session interesting, don't uh, forget, we're going to be posting this to our YouTube channel. Uh, you'll find it there in a couple hours or a few hours. Uh, please uh, subscribe if you find our uh, content helpful. We also have um, our Slack community. If you haven't joined, go to slack.cloudposse.com to join. If you uh, are so willing, please leave us a review. It helps us out a great deal. Uh, go to cloudposse.com slash APN dash review. Again, cloudposse.com slash APN review uh, to leave a review. Uh, so Amazon sees all the good work that we're doing here. If you're curious about Cloud Posse and if we can move the needle for you at your organization, go to cloudposse.com slash quiz, answer a few quick questions and you'll book a meeting with me directly and we'll work through your situation to see if we can help you out. See everyone next week, same time, same place. Go to cloudposse.com slash office hours to register and receive an invite uh, to your uh, calendar uh, every week so you don't miss out. Thanks again and talk to you later.